And we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I know it's a familiar passage. Um, It's really the first bad news passage in the Bible, isn't it? Because Genesis chapter 3 is a story of the fall and what a fall it was from a high and lofty position in relationship to God to an alienated and antagonistic position in relationship to God. Fortunately, the story of the gospel is that God did something about the problem of sin. So even though we're going to read some bad news here first, uh, we know the rest of the story, don't we? And that is the gospel of redemption in Christ. So hear God's word from Genesis chapter 3 as follows. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They only knew good up to that point. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, that is God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now we're going to move ahead to verse 22 to 24, the concluding of this chapter. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live 
forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Here ends the reading of God's word, and we pray the Holy Spirit will help us understand and respond in faith to it. Uh, Dear friends in Christ, I want to focus on the last three verses that I read to you, especially focus on this tree of life relationship where we read, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Trees, (laughs) prominent in the uh, account of of the Garden of Eden. Uh, Trees have had a very fascinating uh, vision in my mind and in my background. I grew up in a, about nine, 90 miles north of here, just over the Wisconsin border in Racine, on the northwest side of the town. And from our backyard for several miles to the northwest, it was solid trees. And I have the fondest memories of playing in the, in the woods when I was a, a, a boy. In the summer vacation, my, I'd leave after breakfast in the morning and I wouldn't come back till dinner time, because we knew we could, there were things to eat out there in the woods, crab apples, uh, choke cherries, (laughs) Um, there were even nuts out there, trees with nuts on them, growing wild, growing wild, and somehow we knew some of the plants that we we could eat, and if we got thirsty, well, we knew that there was a depressed area where there was a little bubbling spring. And somehow, I don't ever remember getting sick, but we would cup our hands in the cold water and we got along fine. Climbing trees, we had a club. I won't tell you about that because uh, we, did a, a, we didn't always do the best of things. We even fell out of trees. I broke my arm. And, uh, others uh, were hurt often. Trees. Well, trees are important in life, aren't they? Um, We depend so much on trees as a source of food. My, we could think of so many things that are edible from trees, like peaches and apples and grapefruit and oranges. We moved to Escondido, California from Palos Heights uh, 32 years ago. And uh, that's Southern California. It's north, just in the north part of uh, San Diego County. A wonderful climate. But there's one thing I miss there, trees. Trees hardly grow there. There's not enough rainwater. And so when we had a a home built there, the the contractor simply drove off with his trucks and left us with his raw land, about a half acre, halfway up a, a large hill. And it was actually barren. So, of course, we had to landscape it, and we started planting trees. Uh, evergreens, uh, bottle brush trees in the front. And in the back, we had citrus trees of all kinds, avocado trees. And I discovered that in Southern California, if you plant a tree, you also have to, have to prepare a source of water. 
And so we had to have a little spigot beneath every tree or they would die. Uh, we needed that kind of support for the growing of these trees. And so I miss trees and we try to provide them. Only eucalyptus trees seem to grow without any special care in that rather arid climate. Well, trees, we depend not only for food, but the oxygen you breathe uh, is dependent on the product of the rainforest as far away as Brazil and, and Thailand. And that's why some of the environmentalists are a bit concerned when these, uh, these forests are being cleared out for their lumber value. We, I know other green vegetation also provides oxygen for our air, but we depend a great deal on trees, too. <clears throat> I've often thought that landscapers have a wonderful way of life <laughs> because they're so close to God's creation and, and the, the abundance of vegetation that God's world provides. All of this just to remind you that we shouldn't be at all surprised that the Garden of Eden is presented to us as a heavily treed environment. Uh, listen to chapter 2, uh, verses um, yes, 9 and 10. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, beautiful landscaping, and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's that second tree, the tree of, of uh, excuse me, the first tree mentioned there, the tree of life, it's, which is the focus of our attention for this evening's message. These two trees, we know, we, we often speak about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the test of obedience. Our generous God said to our forefathers, Adam and Eve, it's all there, the abundance of, for you to enjoy, but you must avoid this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a test to see if they would be faithful and obedient to their God. Well, you heard the story already. They weren't. And uh, they fell. And we call it a fall, which it really is, because it fell from the lofty position of walking with God to running and hiding in the bushes. But we're going to speak about the other tree, the tree of life. And we'll notice, first of all, that in our text, the last three verses I read to you, God denies them access to this tree of life. And at initial reading, it seems to be rather well, cruel of the Lord. That's our first point. Secondly, we're going to notice that God has a plan that includes another tree of life. And that we're going to see in the gospel. And then finally, we're going to notice from the book of Revelation that in John's vision of glory, he sees a tree of life. Eating from the tree of life, first of all, its original Denial. I read it to you again. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Doesn't that sound rather restrictive on the part of God? Why wouldn't God want human beings to live forever? After all, human beings are created, the Bible says, in God's image, which means we are God-related beings. Wouldn't God want his image bearers to live forever? Isn't that why he initially created them? To have an eternity of fellowship with his image bearers? Well, yes. But something happened. We mentioned it already. It's the great fall. The fellowship between man and God was broken. The relationship was shattered. Uh, the fact that Adam and Eve ran and hid in the trees of the garden. You know, we hear a lot about seeker-sensitive services today. Uh, develop our services so that people who are seeking information relating to the Christian faith may be attracted to it. But friends, there really aren't any human seekers. God is the divine seeker. And that's why as soon as Adam and Eve ran away from God, not seeking God, but running away from him, God goes out and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you, my fallen image bearer? God is the seeker of the lost always. But now if there is a tree of life to which Adam and Eve could have access. Wouldn't that be a wonderful solution to the problem of, of the fall? Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death enters the human experience. Why not now, Adam and Eve, reach out your hand to the tree of life and live forever? Sounds like a great human solution. That's the problem with it, however. It's a human solution. It's the kind of things we humans would like. That is, to go on living in a sinful condition, but never physically dying. Um, aren't we always reaching out for some kinds of tree of life yeah, so that we can live as we please and not suffer the consequences of, of death? Uh, my son is, well, he's... Uh, near retirement, um, but he's uh, spent his professional life as a medical researcher. Uh, he was director of cardiovascular pharmaceutical research with GlaxoSmithKline for the Eastern United States and Great Britain. And he told me once that some of the, a lot of the funds that used to support research for cancer, and uh, cardiovascular diseases had become shifted toward a search for a cure for AIDS. <clears throat> now, cardiovascular disease and cancer are the number one and number two uh, causes of death in the human family. And age is around, comes in and around number 14. But why should so many funds and even uh, people organizing protests and requests of the government to, cause, to, to direct more funds for a cure for AIDS? Now, I hope and pray that a final cure, there, there's some progress that's been made already, 
for that hideous disease called AIDS. But I suspect that it's because a change of human behavior would simply cure the disease and that the human family isn't ready to do. We want to live as we please and have some scientific tree of life help us avoid the consequences. We, have a, uh, we had a board of trustees member at Westminster who was a professor of, of, of thoracic surgery. He is right now in Southern California School of Medicine. And he told me about one of the cases of a, of a, of, of a serious emphysema victim who barely got to the hospital alive and had to be nurtured for two weeks uh, because he couldn't breathe. And they finally brought him around. And, and after two weeks, he was released from the hospital. His brother-in-law picked him up and handed him a cigarette. He hadn't had one for two weeks, which was the original cause of the problem. And he took a deep draw on that cigarette and collapsed. And they had to rush him back into the hospital, and he literally did not survive. So you see here, you know, we live as we please, use whatever habit we, habit we want to pursue. And there are others, of course, um, lifestyles that are damaging to us, and hope that there's some kind of scientific tree of life that we can reach out and avoid the consequences. Well... Had our God allowed Adam and Eve to reach out to that tree of life, physical life would have been continued, but the problem of sin would have still been present. With all of its awful consequences, because after all, all the evil in all the world of whatever kind is a result of sin. So had God allowed Adam and Eve to reach out to that tree of life, physical life would have been continued in a spiritually lost condition. And our God was not about to allow that. Just for a little moment, can you imagine human beings living physically forever without any solution to the problem of sin? Can you imagine all the cruel dictators in human history living forever, free to terrorize the human race forever? There was an awful dictator named Sennacherib who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. It was the Assyrian power that overcame northern Israel. And Sennacherib ordered his army to bring back wagon loads of skulls so that in his capital city of Nineveh, he could have literally mounds of skulls to celebrate his power and his victory. Imagine a, a dictator like that never dying. And you can add all the evil Hitlers and Stalins and Pol Pots and Ayatollah Khomeini's and all the terrorists in the world. Can you imagine all criminals living endlessly, 
free to terrorize humanity forever. Uh, can you imagine seriously ill people, some of whom are awaiting what one author called sweet death to get out of their misery, living forever, all the Alzheimer's victims, um, agonizing without termination, and the cancer victims. My, now we can see that it was merciful on the part of God, not restrictive, but merciful on the part of our God to deny Adam and Eve access to the tree of life that would only have continued human physical life in unending rebellion against God. And you know why God in his mercy forbade Adam and Eve access to that tree of life? Because our God had a better idea. You see, Adam and Eve were denied access to the tree of life, which would unendingly continue human misery, because in God's great plan, he had the prospect of a tree of life that would reverse the effects of sin, that would literally cure the fundamental problem with the, in, within the human family that alienated them, them from God. And do you know the name of God's tree of life? I'll bet you've thought of it already. It's the cross. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is God's solution to the fall, is God's determination to provide a spiritual tree of life that will reverse the effects of sin and cause us to live not just for a while or physically forever with no solution to the sin problem, but to live eternally in his presence. I must confess to you that it was a sort of a surprise to me when I started preparing this message some time ago to discover <laughs> that the New Testament uses the term tree in reference to the cross. Now, there happens to be a perfectly good word in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written for cross. But again and again, more often than not, the writers of the New Testament use the word for tree in reference to the cross. And in the light of what the, the, the unity of the Bible presents to us, it shouldn't have been a surprise to us. Let me give you a few examples. They're very interesting. Acts chapter 5. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, the apostles... Uh, regained their courage and began to preach the gospel. Well, the religious leaders sent the, the temple guards out to arrest them, and they brought them in for questioning. And in that passage in Acts chapter 5, uh, the religious leaders are speaking to the disciples in this fashion. They literally forbade them to preach in Jesus' name. Well, the disciples responded by saying uh, that whether to obey God or, or men, they would leave the judgment to them. 
But as for them, they had to proclaim what they had heard and seen. And these are some of the words they spoke. God our fathers has raised up Jesus, whom you killed and hung on a tree. A little later in Acts chapter 10, we have this interesting story about Cornelius, the company commander in the the Roman army. And uh, Peter was encouraged in a dream of the sheet let let down from heaven to go and speak to him about the gospel. And so he goes to Jaffa, and there he finds Cornelius and explains to him what happened in the life and teachings of Jesus. And he concludes that gospel message in these words. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. The Apostle Paul tells us, gives us the secret of that tree when he says in Galatians 3, verse 13, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, reminding us that Jesus was cursed so that the problem of sin in our lives could have its resolution and so that we could really be reconciled to our God. And the Apostle Peter also tells us that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree of the cross. Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus and his cross provides that spiritual nourishment unto life eternal to provide for all of our needs. The disciples didn't understand that either for a while. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells them that unless they eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God, there is no life in themselves. And it disturbed them for a while. They said it sounded like cannibalism. But of course, in the light of the whole gospel, we know what Jesus was saying, that there is spiritual fruit of the cross, and that is for those who are nourished there, they really do live forever. Jesus is the tree of life. But there's one more stage in this gospel story, this gospel message, and that's in the very last book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the very last chapter of the last book in the Bible. I'll read those verses to you. Revelation chapter 22. This is a vision, and it must be interpreted as a vision, of course, but a vision that God gave to John, the Apostle John, while he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. And this is what he records for our benefit. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit for every every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, that spiritual healing of the nations. Why would God give, in John's vision of glory, a vision of a tree, a tree suggesting eternal nourishment and life, 
Well, simply to remind us when we read it that he who gave himself a sacrifice for sin on the tree of the cross earned for us the privilege to be nourished eternally from the throne of God himself. And there will be no more curse, no more unending alienation from God. For the scripture continues and says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and there will be no more curse. Jesus is the tree of life, and we are nourished from him as our source. And that's why every time we have communion, God invites us to eat, drink, be nourished and believe that the body and blood of our Lord was broken and shed for a complete remission for all our sins.